the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome to Partners in the Gospel. I'm Mark Scalber, your host, local ministry director for Salem Media here in Colorado. We're so glad that you joined us today. And you know if you've been listening over the last several years that um, this show, Partners in the Gospel, partners with uh, ministries locally, but also globally, and we have opportunities to speak with authors about uh, issues of the day that uh, make sense, that are relevant to the listener. And today it's my pleasure to have Melissa Odin, and it's a a very interesting story. I think you're going to enjoy us if you stay with us here. And she learned that she was a survivor of a botched abortion that was expected to have a long-term severe medical issues, learning disabilities, but Melissa defied the odds and is now a leading voice for the voiceless in the pro-life movement, testifying before Congress, speaking across the country. And in her book that's coming out here in January, You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir, Odin, Melissa, intimately details for the first time her search for her biological parents and her own journey from anger, guilt, and shame to faith and forgiveness and empowerment. And after a decade-long search, Melissa finally locates her birth father, writes to extend forgiveness, only to learn that he has died without answering her burning questions. Then her birth mother's parents say they were unable to pass along Melissa's letter. Years later, when she finally hears from the woman who carried her and gave her life, she learns why. The terrible truth is almost too much to bear. So I'm going to start right there. But first of all, Melissa, um, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And that is quite a heavy introduction, I must admit. <laughs> uh, but but it gives the context of, of uh, why we're on the air together. And let me just start off with this question. Um, what were your feelings when you got this information, when you learned the circumstances of your birth? And, uh, you know, you were obviously apparently, uh, well, you, I understand you were adopted at birth. So tell us how that played out as far as what you learned and how you responded. Yeah, most people wonder, you know, how does somebody find out that they survived an abortion? And, you know, how do you know that that's true? And in my life, I was placed for adoption uh, after I survived, my, my adoptive parents knew about the failed abortion and what my life might look like. And like so many parents in that position, they kept it a secret. So I grew up knowing I was adopted, knowing that I had been, quote unquote, born prematurely and had health issues. But mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was 14 that the truth came tumbling down by complete accident. And to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. I did not cope well with that news. I don't think anybody could mm. uh, at that age. Right. I I didn't want to be the girl who survived an abortion. I didn't. I just wanted to be like everybody else. And back then, we didn't talk about how abortions failed and how children could live. So, you know, I felt incredibly alone in that place. Mm-hmm. Now, how old were you? I was 14 when I found out, so my older sister was facing an unplanned pregnancy as a high school student, and that's how the truth came trickling out. She was considering every option, which, you know, people can probably guess, included abortion, and 
So our parents found that out and told her my story, hoping that she would understand how abortion impacts everyone's lives. Mm -hmm. And so that's fortunately, but unfortunately, how I found out. Mm -hmm. And it's like a bomb went off. Yeah, right. So that bomb played out into some other dysfunction and some yucky stuff. Tell us about what that looked like. When you found that information, it was so devastating that, you know, you, you, you know, we all respond differently. But tell our listeners how you responded in, in not the best way. Yeah, definitely yucky stuff, right? Yeah. I'm a mom, so mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> I've always looked out for yucky stuff in my kids' lives. And yeah. yeah, it was poor coping skills, right? And lots of trauma. So I developed an eating disorder, trying to control Mm. something when I couldn't control Mm. what had happened in my life. Uh, Alcohol abuse, trying to numb the pain, you know, every poor decision I could probably make. And, you know, I think by and large, people could have looked upon my life and thought, oh, you know, teenagers do dumb things. Well, yes, they do. Uh, But I was not being a dumb teenager. I was being a hurting Mm. teenager. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, kept it a secret. My parents didn't know. My friends didn't really know, right, because I was the look good on the outside Mm -hmm. and pray that nobody looks on the inside. And I'm sure your listeners can relate to what that's like. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and it's not something you're going to, you know, put on a billboard, you know, and and, <laughs> and, and, and tell everybody, gosh, I was, uh, this, this is my story, this is how I came to being. I mean, I just, yeah, so that storyline of of uh, alcohol or, uh, you know, uh, eating disorder, the other things that went with that story, how long did that last? Not terribly long. I mean, yeah. by the grace of God. And, you know, people often ask, how do you get over that? Mm-hmm. And it truly is a matter of faith for me, because... Okay. You know, I could always feel this spirit moving and saying, you're not an accidental, Mm. you know, stop feeling that way. You're not a mistake, no matter what the world says. And I want more for you Mm. than this, right? Mm. This sin upon sin and lie upon lie. Mm. And, um, you know, Mm. I think that whether you're 14 or you're in your 40s, when you open yourself up to to God, you go, oh, wait a minute, right? This is not helping. Mm -hmm. He wants more for me. And so by the time I went away to college, I was in a much better place. For me, healing has taken a long time, right? Um, And I think some people can probably relate to what that's like. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the healing had begun, and I had forgiven my birth parents for the first time. And I say first time because it's not not a one-stop final destination, right? Where you get to wake up and go, hey, I'm good. good." (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you for saying that. We all want that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for saying that the way you did. Yeah. So, you know, when you got, when, because obviously you were a Christian when you knew that news, Uh, when we talked offline, you had mentioned that. And so when, um, but how did, when, when did it start for you to search for your birth mother? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started about that time. So I was about 19. I mean, it's it's funny, right? I can age myself. When I was 19, not only was it an issue of healing and forgiveness, but that's also when the internet came about. Okay, <laughs> okay, <fun>. gotcha. <laughs> I see. Well, that's cool. And that changed <laughs> things, right? Yeah. People today have no idea, right. like, what a game changer that was. No, absolutely. Yeah. Huh. So you started searching for your mom. And um, that really brought to you, but you had a you had a, a stance on the issue of abortion. I, I would assume 
because you had mentioned to me offline you had a Christian upbringing, but maybe not. I mean, did that change your stance on how you see abortion in the process of looking for your mom? Slightly. So grew up um, with beliefs, um, you know, about being pro-life and the sanctity of life and the gift of adoption. Uh, But I think like many people, uh, when I was 14, right, I was still kind of trying to develop what all of that meant. And so for me, I identified myself as a quote-unquote feminist. And so Hmm. even though I believed in the sanctity of life, I believed in exceptions at that time, right, that maybe under certain circumstances abortion should have been utilized. Mm -hmm. So rape, incest, life of the mother. Mm. And then you find out news like this, and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, Absolutely. There. There is no quote-unquote choice, right, because every life has meaning and value, no matter what the circumstances are of that life. And so, yeah, that changed that immediately for me. There is no exception. Um, But I had to grapple with that Mm. idea of feminism for a long time. Right. Yeah, what that is and what does that actually mean. And and, uh, there's a lot of stereotype within the Church of what a feminist (laughs) is. And um, so that—but yet, you know— when we're talking about this hard subject, there are a lot of women out there that um, maybe they go to some of the healing pieces. We right here in our local town, we have a ministry called Life Network, and it includes you know restoration and intervention and all that. But there's there's the restorative part about you know trying to help ladies process their the choice they made uh, when they were your age or 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 excuse me when they were a teenager or whatever. But there's a lot of silence and timidity for people to share their story because who in the heck they're going to tell? And do they tell if they've had an abortion to their families and those in leadership? So women are kind of silenced because of the the, the norm of the culture is uh, it's an empowerment thing to take. I hate to put it this way: take someone's life uh, so you can be you. And so, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so the idea. Speak to that piece about the silence, uh, so you can encourage some of these women to take some restorative steps. Yeah, most definitely. Whether it's a woman like me who survived an abortion, and I'm not the only one. There are hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of abortion survivors around the world. But, Mm -hmm. you know, stories like mine are silenced by this culture, uh, which is really fascinating to me because they want to say that that I have the right to have an abortion, but I didn't have the right to be born. I mean, that's, that's a fascinating line of thinking. Absolutely. But we're silenced. Women like my birth mother are silenced, who experience regret, who are coerced, who are forced. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's from every level, right? There was a research study recently that came out of California saying, yeah, you know what, we've studied this and women don't regret their abortions. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, totally the- flawed study. <laughs> That's a little skewed, I would think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yep. slightly skewed, right? Yep, yep. But think about that for silencing women, right? Mm-hmm. We've got women who are reading that who do regret their abortions and go, oh, hmm, mm. maybe I'm the outlier, right? Right. Maybe I can't tell anybody because mm-hmm. obviously other people don't regret it. Mm-hmm. And so we see that and we see the Golden Globes where, you know, actress Michelle Williams is saying, hey, I wouldn't have been able to do this without abortion. Right, exactly. And so we... All of these little things are happening mm. every single day, and so I want women to know that 
if they regret their abortion, if they've experienced any kind of emotional or physical pain, if they've survived an abortion, right, that there are people just like Life Network that they can go to and Mm -hmm. talk to confidentially and start unpacking Mm -hmm. that, right? We Mm -hmm. don't have to experience shame. We don't have to internalize it. We do not have to conform to our society. Right on. So what, this is, you know, perhaps there's somebody listening and that, um, what advice would you give that listener who's looking for their birth parents? Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, First of all, be prepared that it may not look the way that you Mm -hmm. want it to, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. we know this about life. God's plans often do not (laughs) look the way that we wanted them to. Absolutely. But, in the midst of that, his plan is always greater. And so, mm. yes, there's probably going to be some secrets or some difficulties. Um, but, you know, stay the course. Mm. It's not going to usually happen overnight. Yeah, sometimes it does. But you have to be willing to stick it out and allow God to really lead um, that mission that you're on. And I think, you know, what I always encourage people to to reflect upon is, you know, what are they really looking for? Are they looking for their biological family? Are they looking for an answer to a question? Are they really looking for themselves, maybe, in the midst of that? Are they looking for God? Mm. Because there's more to that than what they probably think. No, absolutely. And you discovered that on your own journey, obviously. You know that. Oh, yeah. yeah you learned absolutely. so much about yourself. And speaking of what you were learning, what did, what did you learn uh, for, about your birth mother and how did she get engaged with you as far as this book is concerned? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. So I started looking for her when I was 19, didn't find her until I was about 30, okay. and then really did not even start communicating with her for another, gosh, five years after that, because you know, I think like so many people probably experience in their own searches, there were a lot of secrets, more secrets than even my adopted parents knew about. And so... We now know that my birth mother was forced to have that abortion. Her family was responsible for that. Mm -hmm. Her family kept my survival a secret. She didn't know, which is just mind-blowing. So her her family members knew knew that you survived. They did. My grandmother was a prominent nurse, so she's the one who helped force that abortion upon her Mm. and helped me go away, so Mm. to speak. Right. Never could have guessed that. Right. So, will you, but you found your mother, but as, as I see in the book that, um, you know, that, that wasn't encouraged by her parents, obviously, but, um, right. so how did that, how did that take place? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sure our listeners are big time curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, by the grace of God, truly. So she did not know for over 30 years that I had survived and, You know, someone saw me on TV and probably panicked a little bit and Mm -hmm. finally let her know that I was alive. And then she had to kind of grapple with with that, right, as you can imagine, for Mm. a period of time. Oh, my gosh. And so we started, yeah, we started communicating back in 2013 through another family member. And those were some difficult conversations. Mm. You know, this is not easy Mm. to walk out. We were both women traumatized by that abortion And so we had to learn to trust each other and to love one another. And so it was, you know, initially passing along records and information and learning to trust each other. And so then we met face-to-face for the first time about four years ago. And, I mean, that's it's 
indescribable. What I could tell you is that it was sacred Mm. and, you know, you know, it's God ordained when something like that is happening. And, you know, when I first wrote the book, she knew that I was working on it. And I said, you know, if you don't support this, if you are not okay with the content, I'll end it, right? Because my relationship with you is more More important important. than anything else. Oh, good for you. Wow. And she loved it and submitted more content to it. And here we are sharing even more. So how old would she be now? Um, I got to do the math for a minute. <laughs> um, I'm thinking she she's is, 60 or something or more. Yeah, she's about 62. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Wow. So when I just, I'm curious for sure. I'm sure our listeners are. Um, when you met her for the first time physically, what what was that like? The big embrace, tears, all that? Yeah, first is the anxiety, right? I actually mm. told my husband, I'm running away. <laughs> mm, right, right. <laughs> Even though I loved her, right? Mm. I had loved her in my heart for years. Mm. There is this anxiety, right, where you're mm. like, yeah, that's just too much. But, yeah, the, um, you know, the long walk, short walk, when you know you're close to each other, mm. and my mm. half-sister was there, and, you know, kind of symbolically, it wasn't on purpose, but I can see it now as symbolic, she was holding her hand, and she let go of it and placed it in mine. Mm. And then we hugged one another and cried a lot, right? And and my birth mom actually said, you know, I, I've been waiting all these years to hold you. Whoa. Yeah, You're going to make right? me cry. <laughs> I know. You and me both. Oh, my gosh. It's like something out of a movie, right? It is a movie. Yes, right. It can be. Uh, gosh, I mean, yeah, wow. So did she, where was she at as far as faith? Yeah, that's an important question. Mm-hmm. I knew through my adoption paperwork that they they had been a family of faith. They were regular, mm-hmm. you know, churchgoers. Right. Um, but my birth mother is pretty honest in saying, yeah, you know, we'd go every Sunday. We played in the, you know, the church choir, grandma mm-hmm. sang, mm-hmm. but look at the choices people made Mm -hmm. outside of those four walls. So, you know, when the abortion was forced on her, she really had this crisis of faith and thought God had forsaken her, and so really did not have a relationship relationship with him. And so when we started communicating, she'd go, yeah, you know, Melissa, you're, you know, one of those religious people, but Mm. I am not, and I just kind of go, okay, whatever you want to call it. Right. And uh, <laughs> the first huh. time we met, I had written some scripture on a card for her, and, you know, what man intends for evil, God intends for good. Yeah. And I said, you may not believe this, you may not understand it, but mm. I think someday you will. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to her now, she will say, I know there's a God. He's been here all along. He's loved me all along, and mm. we would not be together if it wasn't for him. Mm. So she does that. that sounds like... She re- it, it, your relationship with her kind of it reignited her faith? Could could we put it that it way? It did. Yeah. It did. I mean, yeah. you know, the day that we, um, and gosh, I'm, I'm going to get choked up about it. That's okay. Uh, because it means that much to me. Absolutely. You know, that day that we met, mm. I, I left that meeting thinking, this was it. This is... This was the most important thing that ever could have happened. Mm. He's wanted her yes, all of course. along. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it doesn't get any better than no, that. No, it doesn't get any better than that. And I appreciate that Genesis 50 piece there. You know, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And um, God, if we could have the patience and the grace to extend that grace to someone else, it opens up that door for God to work. 
Absolutely. And yeah. that's what he's calling on every single one of us. Absolutely. To do. Absolutely. Right on. So, you know, you know, some would say the topic of abortion, you know, obviously um, is going to have some implications to this next uh, election. What would be your hope now for abortion laws in the future? Oh, boy. Um, and I you can, you can be as brief as possible answer. because that would probably, yeah, be, I mean, probably be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see Roe versus Wade overturned. I sure. think we're going to see it in mm. my lifetime. Mm. That's why 2019 rolled out the way that it did, because right. the yep. abortion industry is scared to death. So, And they should be. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we're going to see that overturned. We're going to see the battle happen on a state-by-state basis, mm-hmm. legislatively, just like we did pre-Roe. Right. We're going to see it be a deciding factor in the next election, and you're going to see me involved in some of that. Nice. Spoiler alert, it'll be announced very soon, some of the things that I'm going to do. Um, and I wouldn't have done that years ago, but I know that God gave me this life to change our culture, right and on. part of that is legislatively, mm. fortunately or unfortunately. But at, in the midst of that, every single one of us create a culture of life where abortion does become unthinkable. It will be. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think some of the things you've just mentioned, some of the stuff we've seen on TV and some of the, the video stuff behind the scenes of Planned Parenthood, some of the things have contributed to all those pieces, and I obviously have the same uh, desire, the same hope that that would be true. Um, but, you know, the conversation like your story um, is so compelling. And, you know, what I've been, what my thing is as far as helping pregnancy centers or is ultrasound and that kind of, and, and that is, that's been a game changer, obviously, when people can see life, you know, and hear life at such an early stage. Uh, and that's part of that process of, to change the conversation, don't you think, in perspective? I mean, that's a huge part of it. Most definitely, yeah. yeah. In a world that, that supports science, you know, the science is really clear about when life begins. Mm-hmm. I was not like a unicorn, right? right. Uh, exactly. Frog. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it never changed magically for me, and it didn't for you. And and people know that, right? Mm-hmm. It's written on our hearts. We know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to meet people's needs, right? I think the more we meet people's needs and we're honest about science and ultrasound, mm-hmm. you know, we know that that's when people's hearts and minds are changed. Absolutely. You know, my last question is we're running out of time. What message would you give to young ladies you know, considering abortion today? So maybe a listener's listening and they have somebody who's um, abortion-minded. What would you mm-hmm. say to that, that person to encourage that, either, either or, either the person actually listening or a family member? Absolutely. Yeah, abortion is not the solution to anyone's problem. No matter what our culture tries to say, uh, abortion is the ending of the life. We know that. And I know that people are facing difficult circumstances, uh, but that abortion is not going to fix whatever that circumstance is. And so the good news is there are people and places out there who can help meet the needs in whatever circumstance they're facing. So go to a local pregnancy center, go to your church and speak to someone, you know, find someone at a pro-life organization. There are even groups now like Abby Johnson's um, Love Lines where somebody answers that 24 hours Mm -hmm. a day. If you are having problems meeting your rent, furnishing your house, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. there are people now who can meet those needs for you. And abortion doesn't have to be the only option you're looking at. You know, Melissa, what was that site? What what is that website you referred to or the company? So go to lovelines.com. Lovelines.com. Okay. 
lovelines.com, and it has the number right there. I don't have it ingrained oh. in my brain oh, yet that's fine. it's pretty new. Uh-huh. But they can text it 24 hours a day, and someone will respond to nice. help them with whatever L- their need is. Lovelines.com. And by the mm-hmm. way, before we get off the air, I want to refer to uh, the book that's coming out here this next week, January 21st, at least, at least what I'm seeing here. The book's You You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir by Melissa, who we're talking to. And it's it's uh, the publisher's plow, uh, but can it be found all over the place, you know? Um, yeah, it can, right? The, okay. uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books okay. are sold. Perfect. Melissa, I am so grateful for our conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And by the way, is there a, site, a, a website for you personally? Yeah, absolutely. What Melissa is that? Odin, O-H-D-E-N.com. Oh, I see it right here. So Melissa Odin, that's O-H, like you said, O-H-D-E-N. So Melissa, once again, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Will you stay on the line after we, I get off here? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, we want to thank not only Melissa um, for joining us today on Partners in the Gospel, we want to thank you, as always, for being a listener, That uh, and you would encourage other people to uh, get help in the subject matter we've been talking about. You can call Life Network, or she referred to lovelines.com, uh, or you can actually call me, if you'd like, at uh, 100.7 here at 531-5438 if you need some help to reach out. Hear, have someone to listen to you, have a voice, have someone that's concerned. We want to help you here at 100.7. So again, thanks for joining us for Partners of the Gospel. We will see you next week at the same time, every Thursday at 4.30 p.m., right here at 100.7, The Word.